everyone welcome to gravitasmins conversations today i'm speaking with liji thomas she is a hands on techno manager on conversational bots today we are going to talk about the origins and the future of conversational bots and her experience in creating and deploying chatbots let's get started hi liji welcome to the conversations hi joseph thank you for having me wonderful uh let's get started with how you came into programming what's your beginning of your career in programming well that's a that's a less dramatic one it might most probably seem like a cliche um it's the typical story of uh, you know father coming home with the first personal computer when you're in middle school and uh, you and your siblings get excited uh, it what starts off as uh, you know online games paratroopers online chess then goes into a very serious relationship when you're in grade 11 and in grade 12 you choose computers as a subject and then you choose to uh, graduate and post graduate in it and uh, um, fortunately not uh, turned back since then so here we are wonderful good so you said you were starting in programming or your affection with computers was from games yeah yes now in 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 this covid i see kids are all getting addicted to the games uh uh-huh. what's your opinion from your own experience of coming into programming from video games what would you say is that a good thing or should parents be cautious about it what would you advise i think as a technologist myself um you know technology by itself there is no good or bad in it it is all based on the hands that it plays in so there are i know children school students who have used technology in fact games in a very radical and a very productive way um for example i know a kid uh, who's a minecraft wizard and uh, she's a microsoft innovator who's used technology and the minecraft game itself to teach uh, her own teachers and students and who've got them up to speed on that and she's a global innovator today so there's nothing wrong with kids uh, you know playing or learning games it's all uh, for that matter just to extrapolate that conversation technology by itself as we will talk probably for the rest of the session you might quiz me on this technology by itself there is no good or bad in it gaming as, as my my background also comes from there it all lies in how humans make use of that technology my kids are going to love that and <laughs> they are going to lo- they might want to talk to you more on this <laughs> yeah okay so let's let's now zip to the current uh, work that you do you are into this conversational uis chatbots ml and all of that Yeah and while going through some of the videos that you have taken I came across an interesting phrase the second copernican revolution can you talk about that sure so uh actually i think the reference in one of my articles to the second copernican revolution was in reference to a research paper that i had read it was by the great ben schneiderman and he presents this fantastic analogy of connecting the second copernican revolution with uh, human computer interactions so um, traditionally how we used to define or we used to design technological solutions is by putting the solution at the center uh, of the universe 
and uh, consider something like the sun. And all the human experiences were designed around that technological solution. And by far, that has not been one of the successful uh, traits of any technological solution. Um, what is proposed in that research paper is that we put the human at the center of the experience and bring technological solutions around that, build the solutions around uh, putting the human at the center of the, or the crux of the experience. Uh, to cite an example, uh, again, just based off the field that I am in, you might be familiar with Microsoft's chatbot, Tay. So Tay was so popular that they had to bring it down within a couple of hours. And uh, in hindsight, in just listening to the team that built Tay, it's most interesting when you hear the executives talk about it and say that what really brought Tay down was not technical challenges. You kind of think about it, mm. the bot did not crash. The bot had no scalability issues. There were no reliability or dependability issues. What brought Tay down was societal changes, was social changes that actually brought the bot down. And that goes on for any AI solutions, even any technological solutions. I mean, even the ones that we used to build decades back, most of the reasons why technical projects fail are perhaps non-technical reasons. Either there's a KT that did not happen properly, or there must be something uh, somewhere that beyond the infrastructure, really. So putting the human at the center of the experience will ensure that technology is uh, built around it. You most of the times, technologists, myself included, we fret about the technical problems that could possibly happen in our solutions and we go for a release, you know, what, what could actually go wrong with it. Whereas uh, the social or the human side of it is equally important. You are, you are very correct. I remember reading a book called Mythical Man Month and I'm sure you might have read that as well. And this is probably written about 40 years back. Yes. Uh, and then in that, the author cites communication as the major problem for failure of software projects. And I'm surprised even today, after 40 years, we have not found a solution for that. <laughs> and you are right. Uh, the, the causes for the technological failures are not really from a technology point of view, but it's all from a human or a societal point of view and we'll touch upon that for machine learning and for chatbots how that affects but let's go ahead with this so now moving on to chatbots are chatbots a new thing that we are seeing or this is a different form of an existing technology what's your take on that so chatbots are definitely not a new technology. They are becoming more relevant and gaining more space right now. That said, chatbots have been in existence, you wouldn't believe me with this, they've been around for quite a while now. In fact, as early as 1960s, they had a chatbot by my name, my middle name is Eliza itself. And uh, we see that in a lot of sci-fi movies as well. But unfortunately, it did not take off as much as was expected. And there were a couple of reasons for that. And the same reasons as to why chatbots are a big thing right now. So we did not have, you know, the chatbots or any AI solution for that matter, they feed on data. We did not mm -hmm. have that kind of data in the 60s or 70s or 80s. And even if we mm -hmm. did, we did not have the power to harness the data. So. People typically think of having big data, just the ability to have the data. 
you need to also be able to harness the data, to process the data, interpret it, store in addition to storing it. Then you need to have computational power. You also need to have advanced statistical models or machine learning algorithms. All of this was not prevalent during those times. And fortunately, we are at a point in history where all of this come together and let's just say the stars have aligned that we have uh, conversational AI and other AI solutions as well uh, happening at this point in time. Okay, so the underlying ecosystem has well matured because of the data, computational power and the models. And that is why the conversational chatbots are on the rise, right? So that's what the point that you're yeah. making. Now, are they most useful for companies or, or for normal citizens like you and me? There are multiple use cases of chatbots. You know, typically, I know that when you talk about chatbots, people refer to them as contact centers or customer service uh, chatbots. But uh, literally, there are so many wide use cases of chatbots. Um, some of the most uh, interesting examples of chatbots are there are chatbots that uh, uh, help you pay your parking fine if you uh, have missed it. Uh, I don't know if you have one in India, but uh, they had started one in the UK for that. There are chatbots that help you pick the right kind of wine to go with your food. There's, uh, on a more um, serious note, there's a bot called Wobot. And uh, when I uh, talk about Wobot in my webinars, and I've had people actually use Wobot. So Wobot is um, a bot that is based off the principles of CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's one of the most researched clear uh, methods for clinical depression. So imagine having people uh, going through that situation having a bot to chat with and uh, sort of help them through that condition. So very serious and very impactful bots, much beyond the typical use cases that we have. So I am not personally of the opinion that technology is a panacea, that it cannot solve anything and everything, but there are specific use cases that a bot can be brilliant for. So in your example, have you interacted with any of the chatbots and what has been your experience on them oh yes i obviously as a as a you know as a practitioner in this space i don't tend to miss out on any opportunity to interact with any chatbot but i love seeing the kind of um, experiences the interactions that have been built into chatbots and um i must say as of late there are so many mature chatbots, even the ones that we deal with on a daily basis, even the, the air flight ones. And I was just um, ordering food the other day and uh, for my family while I was not at home and I had uh, placed this order over Swiggy. So I was waiting for the delivery boy to uh, deliver it. But for some reason, um, it was it was taking a lot of time as I was you you can see the small map that you have in swiggy as part of your phone you can track where the boy is but um interestingly uh, the, the delivery boy seemed to be stuck at one specific place in the traffic over 20 minutes now that is really weird and uh, in a traditional system i would have either had to call the customer care or what i would call the restaurant or i would have either had to cancel my order or maybe get in touch with the swiggy contact center so i pull up the swiggy chatbot I don't know if you've tried that. It's one of the it's one of the best chatbots I've ever used. It's uh, very intuitive. It's within about two or three exchanges. I really got my problem solved. It did not even ask me 
who I am, what order I've mm. taken, etc. It knows, it, it is very contextual. It understands where I'm coming from. And it tells me the exact time the delivery boy is going to be at my house. And they and he did as well. So a lot of, lot of good uh, chatbots out there that do a fantastic job in serving customers. I have ordered a lot from Swiggy, but I never had to use their chatbot. So next time, probably I will intentionally do something so that I can use the chatbot. Yeah. But you make a very good point. In addition to all the other aspects that you talked about, computational power, data, and model, I think what people are realizing now is the contextual nature of chatbots. Yes. Earlier, whenever we have to interact with chatbots, we will all start from beginning. Getting. Who are you? What's your number? What's your order ID? And all of that. Yeah. Now it is embedded into whatever application that we are using and embedded into that context itself so that the chatbot is able to pick up and then you, it is able to interact with you. So you are feeling it is, I'm actually talking to somebody. Right. They understand my problem. Absolutely. They understand the situation that I am in and yeah. And then they are able to solve that. Okay, so so I think that's also a good point that now it has come through. So thanks uh, for that. Now, so you talked about, uh, we, we started with this Microsoft board that had to be shut down because of the societal uh, issues and everything. Coming from that, are there any guidelines in developing these chatbots? Yes. So, um, you know, when you are a trailblazer in any field for that matter, there's mm -hmm. obviously a risk that is involved with the first time that you go ahead and you do uh, certain things. But uh, personally and professionally, I tend to learn a lot from, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of failures because then it shows that where they're coming from is truly, truly authentic. And there's a lot of value in those kinds of lessons. And uh, almost every giant uh, uh, in the ecosystem today, in terms of the industry players, have got a solid marketing strategy, solid uh, AI strategy, I must say. And they have a solid conversational AI strategy as well. Now, each one of them have got their ethical boards and their uh, standards and their guidelines and recommendations and principles. So where I come from, like from the Microsoft stack, um, we have our set of uh, recommendations and guidelines from Microsoft uh, particularly towards building responsible AI solutions. So chatbots are one kind of AI solutions. We can build other AI solutions as well, but uh, based off uh, some key pillars like trust and uh, all, we have uh, a very set a set of guidelines, very practical, uh, actionable insights that uh, the developers can use to build these chatbots today. So probably when we started off a few years back, you know, we did not have those kinds of uh, guidelines or recommendations, but today those are available. And it is easy to translate those guidelines into code? Absolutely. So this is the difference between, um, so I wouldn't say all guidelines are of that sort, uh, because I totally understand most of the guidelines are very research oriented and these are uh, um, at a very, very high level. Um, the kind of guidelines that I'm looking at are guidelines that are easily relatable for the developer community. They are practical insights. And this is because these guidelines, the way they have been created is over decades of research, Microsoft, along with the research community, along with the AI practitioners have come together and curated all the experiences that have been built into these AI solutions. So it's far more practical for us to sort of use that in our solution. So they don't really tell you what exactly to do or not do, but they show you experiences. They show you examples of 
the successful thing. So you get ideas from that, you get inspiration from that. Okay. Now, most of these researchers and the algorithms and models and guidelines, all of this, I've seen most of them are US-centric or maybe developed nation-centric. How do you take into account the local context? Say, for example, one of the example or one of the jokes my kids uh, laugh a lot is about Mexicans love barbecue, Indians worship cows. Those are very specific local contexts. So how can we adapt these guidelines into local sensitive ones? And I'm sure even within India, India is not a single country. There are multiple different contexts right. when as we move probably about 500 kilometers. Right. So how do we adapt this technology for these local contexts? Any idea? Yeah. So that's a great question. You know, cultural sensitivity is perhaps one dimension of that diversity that we are seeing across the globe. You know, there, there can be various dimensions of uh, diversity. Um, and there are various ways to approach that as well. Uh, first of all, most of these recommendations and guidelines are kept at a very generic level, though, it, though you are free to customize that and use that at your application level. They have been designed and kept at a very generic level as of that. Um, they do not tell you to do it in a specific way for a specific culture. But to answer your question, Joseph, one of the ways that we can actually take care of cultural sensitivities and um, for that matter, any local uh, sensitivities is to make sure that we have the right uh, kind of inclusion on our teams. Um, at a very high level, what I've always heard is um, it'd be great if we had policies, we had regulations, we had laws, etc. Um, unfortunately, technology proliferated at a pace where we did not have those kinds of laws. But uh, that said, I'm sure in the future we would be having AI laws and regulations. Policymakers would be prioritizing that and sooner or later we would be having all of that. But Beyond that, I mean, beyond the government regulation, industry regulation at an organization level, uh, engineering management regulation, even at a team level, the simplest things that you and I can do is to try and bring diverse perspectives to the table, ensure that you have inclusion of diverse angles on the table, because whether we like it or not, you know, we all have biases, if not anything mm. else, we have unconscious biases as well. And it is our poor unconscious biases that ultimately creep into these machines as well. It is not that the machines are by nature, they are culturally insensitive. Um, it is our unconscious biases that creep into these. So if we design our teams in a way that is inclusive, we ensure that we bring more people that are not like you and me, we do not have the same kind of unconscious biases. So we will be able to challenge each other perhaps negate and neutralize those biases um, and maybe try to at least create a less biased solution, if not a not biased solution at all. So if I read what you are saying, what you are saying is we need to create inclusive and diverse team first and culture first, and only then that will get reflected in the solutions that we are creating. Absolutely. Yes. It, uh, it is very interesting when you, uh, you know, I, I typically think it just takes a screenshot to tarnish the reputation of a, a good AI solution. 
right? And uh, with all due respect to that solution itself or technology itself, at least at the point where we are today in history, um, AI solutions are very narrow. They are artificial, you know, very narrow domain specific. They are not of the kind of artificial general intelligence like you see in sci-fi movies that we, we are way beyond reaching there. So the solutions that we have today, chatbots included, they do not have a mind of their own. They do not operate on their own, supervised or unsupervised. They feed off the data and they feed off the trainings and learnings that we impart to them. They are good learners. The problem with AI is not that they're doing things on their own. The problem with AI is they're very, very good at following instructions. They take instructions to the T. That is exactly the problem. And they will follow whatever you and I tell them. So it is important for us to make sure that we teach them the right thing. It's just like we teach our kids, right? So we we say it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a bot. And we make sure that we tell it the right things. Um, for example, taking the case of Tay itself. Tay was an unsupervised bot, but the, when allowed to learn from people's experiences and emulate their speech, it uh, tend to learn all the wrong things. And we need technology to, as Satya Nadella himself says, we need technology to bring out the best in humanity, not the worst. Mm. In it, right? mm. So from whatever that we have discussed, it appears to me that so far as software developers, I don't know about you, I learned only about coding, whatever logic, programming, algorithms, data structures, and so on and so forth. But from whatever that you are saying, probably the future software programmers will have to learn philosophy and probably anthropology to understand human conditions and what are their biases could be and how they will operate in different situations and how we can eliminate those kinds of biases. Do you think we are putting a huge challenge in front of the younger generation? <laughs> well, as much as I would love to learn all of that, I will again go back to say, you know, uh, not maybe one person or two person, may, may, we may not have individually the capabilities or the skill sets that's required, which is why we go back to our culture of a team. We are a team mm. of individuals who bring on board all the different perspectives and the skill sets that are actually needed by a bot, right? So uh, I go back to the analogy of raising a child. You do not have just one person. You still have your parents and your grandparents and you still need your siblings and your cousins and your relatives and you need your first family, your second family, extended family. You need your community. You need your school. You need your college. You need everyone. You, it cannot be done. A child's need alone cannot be done by one person, no matter how superhuman he or she is. So, um, in fact, most of the bots that, uh, um, for example, the war bot that we discussed, it is not possible for just a bunch of technologists to come together and then create Wobot because Wobot, as I said, comes from a very strong and powerful domain. We had clinicals, they had clinical psychologists on the team. They had uh, um, domain experts on the team. And that goes for all bots that we are creating. It's Cortana for Alexa, Siri, etc. You might have people from uh, with background in philosophy, background in literature. Uh, when we build, we have people, uh, we have content writers on the team. We have people from the QA, from QE, from design perspective. We have technologists. So they said it takes a village to raise a, a bot, not just one or two. Per well, uh, one person need not study it all as well, as long as you have a great team to support you. Yeah. And as you are saying, 
my thought was going behind see even in our own societies we all used to have the joint families uh, it had its own problems but we had them and now it's all independent families and i can stand on my own legs kind of thought process is what is there now so what you are saying is even in societies we need to go back to that community living and learn to live with the diverse opinions and only then the solutions that we are creating will reflect those kinds of uh, inclusivity and diversity that we see in the communities yes i think um, I, i think there is enough power in diversity and in inclusion um especially for technologists you know technologists are not people who work only with machines but uh, people who work with people as well i think the pandemic has got out that fact as mm. clear, as crystal clear as water so we need the power of community uh, for all fields and technology especially okay so let's uh, go to that low code no code ml development tools that have come in microsoft has uh, these uh, frameworks and in fact now you can drag and drop and then you can create a bot what's your thought process on it now i don't even need to code i don't even need to be a software programmer to learn all of those kinds of stuff i can create a chatbot probably like a i may not be able to create a swiggy kind of a tool that you talked about but for my site probably i can create a bot using that drag and drop low code uh, tools what's your thought process on it and what do you think that is going to take us to i think that's a fantastic breakthrough that we've seen in recent times right uh, think about the the pace at which this is growing technology is growing the kind of consumption that is that is there the kind of uh, um, it's it's beyond the level of hype anymore people are really using this technology it is uh, beyond the stage where you have a few engineers in silicon valley sitting and creating this technology we want people um, uh, we want to be able to empower people to be not just consumers but creators as well mm. and uh, having democratized these technologies i think uh, players like microsoft have done a fabulous job in getting technology into the hands of the common people so you now you have what they call citizen developers so it is not just uh, engineering graduates or people who can who follow the code first approach who can create these projects uh, a retailer can Uh, uh, an IT admin in a in a hospital can a healthcare worker can you have an airport official he can so anyone can use these technologies to create uh, solutions that will solve problems in their life and low code and no code is probably the good starting point for that that is not to say that they would probably replace the code first approach because there will always be um, you know uh, reasons for having built those kinds of solutions but that's a great opportunity for anyone to get started with and uh, for citizen developers in that space so now that there is an opportunity for citizens to create these kinds of chatbots what would be a definition of a successful chatbot oh that's a well if you had to pick one uh, in, of course the platform capabilities and technical skill sets and a lot aside i maybe pick on one that is usually less talked about uh, in terms of uh, success um it goes back to our previous conversation of having the human and having the um the at the center of the experience and building responsible experiences uh, you know you if you kind of think about it that a chatbot is the face of ai behind the chatbot you can have 
um, n layers of artificial intelligence services and the platform that drives it. It could be on a cloud provider. It could be running through multiple security protocols and uh, a lot of networking that's happening there, perhaps a, a globally scaled application. But at the end of the day, um, it's the simplicity and the and the intuitiveness of the experience that will make or break your application. I mean, think mm -hmm. about it. If you have a conversation with your friend, you could have the most perfect setting in terms of lighting, in terms of exteriors, your interiors, you, your food is great, your everything is great. But if the quality of your conversation is not something that strikes your heart, it doesn't matter what setting you're in. So I could leverage my chatbot on the world's best infrastructure, but providing the most delightful customer experience would probably be the USP of my chatbot. You go away, the, the bot, the user of the bot, that's all he or she is going to really take away with him or her, how delightful that experience is. So for me, I would put it at uh, very simple, as simple as conversational user experience, is probably what drives the success of a chatbot. So you are tying back to where we started. So the second Copernican revolution. So we need to remember that and yeah. we need to put the user and their user experience at the heart of it. And that's where a chatbot could become a successful one is yeah. what you are saying. Okay. Yes. Uh, from everything that you are talking about, before I used to think the chatbots could replace call centers or low level employees. But now that we have this low code drag and drop kind of chatbots, I'm afraid maybe there's a danger for my job as a CTO. Because most often what a CTO does is what's the technology to be used? What's the kind of an architecture that could be used? And we, these could be codified very easily. Say for example, if it is going to have a requirement of data and YAML, probably you should use Python. If it is going to have kind of e-commerce or it has to be in a, a low internet kind of usage device, then it has to be Golang, something like that. You can codify that. So what I'm afraid now is, now the chatbots may not really remove or rather replace the call center agents, probably it'll replace me. <laughs> what do you think of that? So I've had this question asked, uh, you know, just discussed in, in my groups as well previously. Would a chatbot be able to replace um, a manager? Would it be able to replace a VP and so on and so forth? Um, but, you know, on a, on a lighter note, um, see, what we're talking about is artificial intelligence. And what human beings are most well known is for the kind of intelligence that is called authentic intelligence. There is mm -hmm. no way that artificial intelligence is going to replace authentic intelligence. Both has got its own strengths. There are strengths for artificial intelligence. And there is strength for authentic intelligence. What is happening right now, what we are seeing is artificial intelligence augmenting the authentic intelligence. So which is why we always talk about augmented intelligence. So if I were you, I would be concerned about going back to work in a team that involved chatbots. I mean, just like you talk to your coworkers, you spend time over coffee and trying to understand how you would give someone a task and get output and how you would add together, add value to your solutions. 
think about how you would interact with a chatbot, get it to understand you, how you would take uh, the learnings from a chatbot. The chatbot has, probably has got a lot of data and insights to give back to you as a CTO. You could use that. You could maybe free up your time to do uh, more creative tasks with your time, Joseph, the, you know, un offload all the 40% of that menial task to a chatbot, let it do its work. It'll come back to you and probably augment the entire experience that you have with once you get back to office probably that's thank you I will, I will i will think about that yeah. <laughs> thank you for thank you for that comfort that <laughs> my job is not in danger immediately no. uh, so while you are talking i was reminded of there's a i don't know whether it is true i have read it uh, sometime uh, somewhere mm. jeff bezos the amazon chief uh, the ex ceo he used to have a chair representing the customer so probably in my meetings, I need to have a chair for chatbot and then say, hey, you know, respect that chatbot. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, how has COVID affected our chatbot growth? I'm assuming it is going oh. to, it has improved or already increased the usage. Oh, yes. As we have read throughout the newspapers, in fact, uh, digital transformation has just spiked through, uh, throughout the pandemic time and for obvious reasons. And uh, conversational AI has not been an exception to that case when many um, offices were not able to open businesses actually overnight they turned online and they uh, went remote and because uh, you know uh, their employees could not turn up at offices lockdown restrictions pursued or offices needed to be shut down but customers never stopped calling and their queues just got longer and their wait times just got uh, longer so uh, those uh, organizations that were able to leverage the conversational ai um, and who had jumped onto that bandwagon saw a considerable remark in their uh, performance because now they were not tied to um, you know a specific day of the uh, of the week or a specific time of the uh, day you know so chatbots never take uh, PTOs or they never take uh, you know they never go tired so that's one of the um, strengths of their artificial intelligence in terms of their statistical capabilities so um yeah so and we tend to see that research and that trends are actually showing in terms of market trends and it's only going to uh, spike up in the coming uh, years so earlier what used to be you know if someone had a chatbot as part of their brand uh, it used to be a good to have kind of thing for mm. their brand uh, now it's more uh, it's coming to more like a must have or a should have kind of thing yeah yeah so it is also because the users and the customers have started demanding a response at any point in time. Yes. They don't have to wait only when the office is open kind of responses. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when I introduced you, I introduced you as a techno manager and which is what you are. Now, all of this technology as growing up as a software programmer and a lead and everything is okay. But when you move into management, do you miss as being an individual contributor and you can play around with it and you can code it, you can do all of those things by yourself. Do you miss that? I think we've all been there at a certain yes. point in time where, uh, you know, you at that tipping point when you transition into a new role, you know, whatever that yeah. new role may be. But uh, I think over a period of time, you tend to realize that like a lot of things in life, uh, certain decisions are not binary, so it doesn't mm. have to be an either or kind of a s situation. Um, 
even I, there are a lot of managers that I know personally who still keep in touch with the technology. And that's because at the core of our heart, we still are technologists. We cannot, uh, uh, you know, because we've stepped into a new role, we do not uh, part away with that. Uh, there might be situations where we may not be able to work hands on on code, but you still can be heads down without being hands on. And uh, you still have your uh, um, technical uh, urges and your uh, ways to satiate your needs. You can build your side projects if you don't have a care, the ability to be hands-on on the code. You're still working very closely with the technical teams and you still have the opportunity to drive a larger kind of impact than you could while you were uh, an IC. So I think uh, um, it's it's been able to make peace at that layer and it's a fine balance between the two. Now that you have found that kind of a piece and a fine balance, what would be your advice for a new manager? Oh boy. Um, so that's a, that's a tough one um, because, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's no, it's difficult to pick just a one or a two. I think um, just being authentic and keeping to your style is very, very important. And do not ever forget who you are as a manager. Mm -hmm. If I can tell you a small anecdote that happened uh, during my previous years. So as I was a fresh manager and I was just uh, coming into this, this is about a few years back. And I had uh, over uh, at, at a particular point, I had uh, uh, one of uh, over one of I don't remember the situation specifically, but at one instance, uh, there was this remote call that happened. And then at the end of it, I kept asking, so how would I do this? How would I uh, manage the timelines and the schedules? And then this this people and this is this. And I remember the person at the other end who was like, uh, you know, my uh, skip level boss who said, but that's what you are, DJ. You are a manager and a manager needs to manage. And that is by far, I think, the best advice I have got, though probably that did not expect to come across as an advice. Um, as a manager, there is always um, a, a sort of a scuffle between you want to be a mentor, you want to be a coach at some time, you want to be an IC, you want to be a leader at some time. You can be all these things, you can wear these various hats, but do not forget that a manager alone can manage. And management is perhaps one of the most noblest professions that we have because you have the capability to directly touch people's lives. And when you touch people's lives, you're impacting not just them, their families and all those mm -hmm. who depend on them as well. So it's not a small job and there is nothing to uh, underestimate there as well. So being a manager and being able to manage that is a fine balance act. It's a, it's a huge responsibility. And uh, do not try to fill in so many shoes and wear so many hats and go by so many other names, trying to be so many things for so many people. Just being able to manage um, these many things of, of all the things that you manage in office, especially managing emotions, is a great, great responsibility in itself. Thank you. So what you are saying is, if you manage the emotions of the people, you are touching a lot of people, not only them, but the families also. And because of that, it's a noblest profession. I've not heard that, uh, Liji. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. Uh, now that we have talked about this, in your opinion, uh, who is an example of a great leader? What makes a great leader? 
Oh boy, lots of great leaders. It's difficult to pick one uh, uh, as a name. But for me, I think what makes a great leader is, I, I would say a great leader for me is someone who is completely invisible, like who's not there mm. and someone mm. whose efforts are not, not seen. The impact of his or her work is viewed through the team and the kind of execution and it's there out to be seen. But the leader himself or herself is nowhere there. As invisible as you are as a leader is shows, uh, you know, it, it speaks volumes to uh, who you are. Fantastic answer. Thank you very much. Uh, fantastic answer. I don't, I've never heard of this from anywhere. Thank you very much for this. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, what are the books or the movies that shifted your thinking? Oh boy, that's again a lot of books. Uh, where do I start from? I think uh, one of my my favorite would be hitting the top of the stack would be um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, yeah. and then uh, then a lot after that. I think uh, uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming, and then um, so many other uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Um, lot. I think uh, what I am so looking forward to reading this year is Indra Nui's uh, biopic and. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who ordered that uh, copy and waiting for yeah and she's one leader that i totally totally admire yeah yeah and i have listened to her, some of her videos amazing amazing how she's able to balance out everything Absolutely. and still be coming out as a great leader uh fantastic uh what's the kindest thing somebody has done for you one that's very hard to pick i think uh it's uh i think Top of your mind on the top of my mind, I think it's been very kind of you, Joseph, to have had me on the call today, uh, to have me a part of uh, Gravitas Vincent. Like of all the people, you, I know you do this with a lot of people, but it's very kind of you to have had me on the show. Uh, yeah, so that's that's on the top of my mind, if you ask me. Okay, I think I shouldn't have uh, interjected <laughs> you. I should have let you think. It was not a trick question, Liji. No. <laughs> so other than me, uh, okay. Any other kindness? No, <laughs> really. I think uh, the I think the world has is very kind, and we've seen a lot of uh, mm. random acts of kindness. It'd be very um, you know unjustful of me to just pick one or two, but I think we've seen a lot of uh, effects of kindness uh, throughout our lives and throughout the world. Very true. I I am what I am because of the helping hand. So many helping hands yes. uh, that were extended to my parents and to me, yeah. and. I agree with you that there are a lot of small kind acts. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you online? Okay, so that is probably the only objective question you've ever asked me in this entire episode. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that, that's probably where I am the most. And then um, Twitter, um, Instagram, and I have my own blog at lijithomis.com. Okay, so... Thank you very much. Uh, Liji, thank you very much for taking your time to talk to me and talk to us and educate us on the conversational UI. Uh, everyone, please follow Liji on LinkedIn. And if you have any questions on this, uh, please ask her. She is very gracious to answer any of these questions and uh, follow her on Twitter. I don't know how active she is on Instagram, but she is very active on Twitter. So follow her. And, uh, and on that closing note, please check out my executive coaching program gravitas wins and finally don't forget to subscribe to this particular channel thank you and have a life of wins mm -hmm.